1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for
3: details.
4: This is episode 85 of Alohomora for May 24th, 2014. Hey everyone, I'm Noah Freed.
2: I'm Michael Harley.
1: I'm Laura Riley, and here today we have a special guest. Her name is Kara Kennedy. So, hey guys. Hi, Kara.
5: <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm so excited to be here.
1: Uh first, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're also a podcast host in uh for another fandom that so many Harry Potter fans like, so
5: Yeah, I am a host on the Doctor Who podcast, The Impossible Girls. You can find us on iTunes or Twitter, we're T I G podcast. And we're basically it's me and my two best friends, and we do kind of Doctor Who from a female perspective. So That's awesome. Yeah. Oh,
2: banana
4: So, so, uh, what did you think about those news stories that came out recently about, I don't know if it was the producer or somebody, somebody up there in the Doctor Who universe who had said some negative things about women?
5: Oh, Stephen Moffat?
4: Maybe. He was saying something about how ladies just love to watch Benedict Cumberbatch do pretty much anything.
5: Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a long, I don't know, it's, it's been discussed a lot in the Doctor Who fandom, kind of back and forth on Stephen Moffat's attitudes toward women, um, yeah, I kind of we try to keep kind of a neutral attitude on our podcast about it. But um I don't know. Just I like his I like him as a writer, so I try to stay away from the comments he makes to the media.
1: <laughs> and back to Harry Potter, would you like to tell us what your Hogwarts house is of choice? Sure, I am a Slytherin. Ooh! Ooh. do we have everyone here then? Wait, mu- uh, do no, you're a Hufflepuff too? Oh, Michael. Aww.
2: Shoot, Noah. One of us has to go get resorted into Ravenclaw. (laughs) Well, actually,
4: I was a hat stall, so I could be counted as Ravenclaw.
2: Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Perfect. So we kind of have. We kind of have all. Almost. (laughs) We were so close.
4: Close. Just, just my top half though. (laughs) Oh. All
1: right. So as a reminder, to you guys, this week we're going to be reading chapter eight, which is the hearing. So make sure to be fully caught up on that in order to fully enjoy this episode. But
4: before but you don't have to listen to it, you could just listen to a speak and spiel about it.
1: <laughs> sure.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but before
2: you go on, before we go on to chapter eight, we're going to take a look back at uh, chapter seven of Order of the Phoenix. Uh, the Ministry of Magic and our discussion from last week and the responses you guys had for us. Uh, there were a lot of really interesting comments this week, actually a lot about a th- uh, quite a few things we didn't catch. Uh, the first one is from the main site, from Elise Roberts. And this one was one of the things we did talk about. It was in response to the Ministry's wand security check. And we were discussing on the last show how we were kind of surprised that uh, uh, Eric, the security guard... Uh, does not actually take people's wands away when uh, he checks them into the Ministry. Uh, But Elise pointed out... I think... But Elise pointed out... I think they were checking their wands in the Ministry of Magic as a way to prove their identity, the way the goblins demanded to see Bellatrix's wand in Deathly Hallows, Uh. when Hermione, with Ron and Harry, tried to enter the Lestrange's vault. The wand functions as a sort of ID in the wizarding world, so if someone would use Polyjuice Potion to look like someone else, he wouldn't have that person's wand. And if he would have it then its allegiance would have changed and it would point to another master than it should while being checked. At least that's the answer I came up with, said Elise. Uh, So I thought that was a particularly clever observation.
1: I I wonder if if it's true that, you know, it is like the wizard form of ID, Mm -hmm. how that works in a scenario like how Ron had a hand-me-down wand originally. Mm Mm-hmm. Is uh, like, yeah. does the wand you know, get like re-registered because it's like changed allegiance like, or whatever to him or is, you know, is it still, I don't remember which brothers it was. Um, that point. person's wand identification wise, so. Maybe the wand
4: changes itself itself in like a little movement or something, like it, there's an extra etch on the side or something.
2: Well, and there's the, the, the you know, with, with the, of course, the big one we know with wands when you, when you win them. When you win their allegiance, it's usually by kind of something rough and tumble. But Mm -hmm. I suppose it wouldn't be, like, I I, I imagine it would be equally logical or acceptable that a family member could pass a wand down um, Mm -hmm. to another family member. Uh, That seems to make sense, especially if the wand is willingly given to that person. Right. Um, Yeah, I
5: think it's like if it were given as a gift kind of thing, like, oh, you know, happy birthday, here's your new wand for for your 11th birthday. I think that would make sense, especially if you share, you know, the blood of that person, the DNA of that person. Mm -hmm. I think it would be more likely to, you know, for the allegiance to change.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, because we have seen an issue where some people have shared wands willingly that aren't, they aren't related, which is, of course, is Harry and Hermione in Deathly Hallows, mm-hmm. and Harry notably says that the wand just does not work quite the same way. It works, but it's not that great. Um, so, and it's—I think it's—it's
4: it's it's really only the Elder it. Wand that does a dramatic switchover. Ever the other yeah. Wand's it's sort of this more ambiguous turnover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So,
2: but I thought that was a really great point from Elise because we were all fretting last week about why would they check your wand at security and then let you have it if you're going for a trial for using magic. Um, but, uh, so that was a really interesting, uh, way of looking at it. And then, uh, there were some observations of things we didn't catch. Uh, this one was from Elvis Gaunt with additional discussion from Subjective Unicorn over on the main site. And, uh, this was actually about the appearance of one Boderic Bode. Uh, Elvis Gaunt said, we see Bode going to his workplace, the Department of Mysteries, and he is described as having a, a I believe the word is sepulchral voice. Yeah. Um, and I think, so. I think that we'll go with that. <laughs> We've got two people who are <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Um, and, uh, Elvis Gaunt said, is that a foreshadowing of his death? Because I did look up the word sepulchral and it is an unusual word to use because, uh, it, in the way that Rowling is using it, it doesn't
4: could... bode well for bode. It didn't,
2: uh, that Oh, there's a lot of just tricks in his name and his appearances. Um,
1: you know, nothing is good in store for him. Oh, not at all.
2: Because, of course, it, it, when I looked up superhero, it can mean kind of like just kind of grim or gloomy, but it also can relate to like tombs um, and directly to death. Mm-hmm. Um, subjective mm-hmm. Unicorn asked, though, in response to that, uh, I think we actually see him being under the Imperious Curse here. That unblinking look of his gives us the hint. On the curse. Ooh, so that that's was... interesting
5: because the sense I always got from it was just that he was supposed to be just kind of a creepy guy. Because that's
2: what I thought it kind too. of sets
5: the tone because obviously the Department of Mysteries has played such a big role in this book mm-hmm. that the people who work there are kind of creepy and mysterious themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the I like the this because the way he's described, he essentially kind of looks like Snape, but if Snape <laughs> hadn't been fed for a long time and <laughs> <laughs> I I, I like that because the, you know the 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 the, the, the uh, uh Department of Mystery workers don't ever see the sun, um, so mm-hmm. they're all the way down to yeah. the lowest bit, uh, part of the ministry. So I
1: think yeah. Also, um, building off of what Kara uh, said, I think. It's also just supposed to give us that impression that the department of mysteries like they're not they're not happy mysteries like that are <laughs> Yeah through. like they there's grim things that they're hiding or mm-hmm. an, if not grim at least just ominous foreboding mm-hmm. if you will
2: so and foreboding por- <laughs> yes foreboding <Forboding. laughs> but and i believe actually i i did check to the timeline to see if i could get a sense cuz this that is one of the things actually i am frequently confused on still when raiding Order of the Phoenix is, is kind of the timeline of what's going on with the ministry employees as they're, you know, offed and sent to Azkaban or, and so mm-hmm. on and so forth by the Death Eaters. But it, it would appear that Sturgis Podmore is actually the first one to be imperious by Malfoy, by Lucius Malfoy and, uh, Bode, um, is, uh, a victim a little later, um, cause he is the second attempt and, uh, to get the prophecy, which goes horribly wrong but we'll of course get to that farther down the line and our last set of comments comes uh first from a discussion started by Axio Potassium uh with additional discussion from Adam Claywitter Dolphin Patronus uh, again Elvis Gaunt and uh Muggles in St. Mungo's and this is from the main site and it's uh, uh, actually in regards to Percy who we're going to encounter again this week um And Axiopotassium noted that the photograph in Arthur's office depicts the entire Weasley family except for their newly promoted son, who seemed to leave the photograph once Arthur came into viewing distance. This is the first photograph we see that is capable of having independent movement for more than a couple of seconds. What makes it particularly interesting is that it seems to have the special ability to change to the current emotions of the family members which makes it superior to that of the paintings of Hogwarts. How does this photograph work? Does it use similar magic to that of the clock at the borough, which tells the exact location of the family members? Or is it closer to the magical portraits of the wizarding world? Noah, I thought you might be interested in this particular discussion.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think the, the portraits are such an interesting topic in these separate worlds. There's so many different dimensions. I don't, I don't know if this is... The same thing, mm mm-hmm. Well, well
2: because the 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 portraits you know they have to actually paint them versus right. the photographs which are actually taken in a in a live moment,
4: yeah I, I think, think those, that's an again, important... maybe in a very short way, the photograph captures an essence of the person, um, but I don't think they are as clearly defined as characters as in paintings because the the artist mm-hmm. labors over the characters of those paintings gives them dimension to their character. And this is just a, a photograph, so mm-hmm. it's, it's as if these characters probably run on loop. I mean, you can still probably play with them to some degree, but they're they're more like a loop and less like a, their own entities, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What were you yeah, going to say, I agree Cara? with
5: that. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's also important to note that like a lot of the magical portraits at Hogwarts are of people who are dead. And obviously, the photograph of the Weasley family, they're all alive. Mm. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. it can pick up on their mental state at the time since they're still in the physical world.
0: And mm-hmm. magical
5: portraits are just capturing the imprint of someone when they were here, but they are no longer.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, because I'm trying to think back on, like, portraits of living people, and the only one that I can think of is Lockhart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe he had, like, portraits of himself, unless I'm just remembering no. the film. I no, no, no. I did a marathon. <laughs> <before>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, and I believe that the, the portraits kind of, like, run off when, um, and even, like, the photographs, like, as well, like when, um, I don't know if it was like the Pixies or something was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that's a really interesting and probably accurate theory that when it's of a living person, whether that be a portrait or a photograph, um, it has more of a connection to build off of, on um, the person, um, that's, that's the, who it's, of. that's really mm-hmm. interesting.
2: Cause I was think I was thinking back to, you know, some of the earliest photographs we see, which are of, um, Lily and, and James in the in the photo book that Hagrid gives to Harry. And mm-hmm. there's definitely this kind of, like, a, a, a disconnect between, the, like, reality and, the, like, the current time in the photos. Because Lily and James are definitely still in the place they were in when that particular photograph was taken. You know, they're waving. Yeah, it's,
4: and- not, like, it's not like Harry could talk to them. No. At each yeah, moment right. of his life. Just yeah. holding a picture in his pocket. <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, uh
2: yeah very very some very interesting theories about uh where the uh how the portraits versus the photographs work um in the world uh so uh i want to thank of course all the listeners again for sending in those uh fantastic comments I wanted to shout out in particular to uh so many of you comment now that I can't actually shout out to all of you um <laughs> but I did want to shout out to those of you who did contribute some really great substantial points to the conversation, and that would be Archduke Severus, Claire Marie, Dust Charm, Aaron White, The Head Girl, Miss Cheetah 1987, The Giant Squid, and Sycamore Combustion, as, along with all of the uh, comments that we read in the show today. Thank you all for your fantastic comments, and if you of the listeners uh, want to join in the discussion from the previous week, that is still open on both our main site and forum.
4: Uh, that's interesting name, Sycamore Combustion. You know, I have a Sycamore <laughs> wand actually, and it is given to combust every now and then.
1: <laughs> I'm always impressed by the names people are able to come up with. Like the extent of my username ability has always just been like a combination of my names. <laughs> I'm always impressed with people. I would never be able to think of something like Asio Potassium. I will. Extra I
4: will. dimension in <laughs> handbag.
2: I will forever, forever <laughs> stick with Lupin Patronus. I
4: will. <laughs> it's good. And, and Lupin's Patronus is werewolf. Is that?
2: It's just a wolf. a wolf. Yes.
4: Just just a wolf. Just a wolf, not a yeah. werewolf. <laughs> now was it? Now was it always a wolf? or Was it just a wolf because he's a werewolf?
2: It was. I think it was always a wolf. Uh, well, I mean, he couldn't cast one before he was a werewolf. Yeah. So right.
4: That would have been terrible uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> Very ironic. Anyway, I would like to now go into the responses to the podcast question of the week. Last week, here it is. Between Snape, Lupin, Pettigrew, Kingsley, and many more characters, we see a great deal of double agents and moles throughout the series. In this chapter, Kingsley is working as a mole in the Ministry for the Order of the Phoenix, providing misinformation about the whereabouts of Sirius Black to the Ministry for the case he is leading. Uh... That should be Minister from Kinsley. Anyway, is Kingsley a traitor to his employer, or does his belief that the Ministry is doing the morally wrong thing negate him as a traitor? What about the other moles in the series, such as the most complicated double agent of them all, Severus Snape? Our first comment is from Aaron White. Um, the word... All right, so this is traitor, in quotes. Traitor is a word that, like selfish, has gotten a not-completely-earned bad rap. Traitor is only an aspiration... From the perspective of the betrayed, every time a group rises up against their government, they are traitors to that government. That does not automatically mean they are wrong, bad, lacking in integrity, evil, etc. From the viewpoint of the ministry, all these people, Snape, Loop, and Kingsley, are traitors because they are working against the ministry's practices. However, from the order's viewpoint, these practices are considered corrupt, and therefore these people are heroes. They're putting themselves in peril for the cause in which they believe. And uh, just an added comment from Aaron White... The true traitor in this tale is Peter Pettigrew. Neither side could really trust him, because he demonstrated that he wasn't in it out of devotion to an ideal, but out of simple self-preservation. He had no aspirations in life beyond his own survival. Ultimately, he was not loyal to anyone, merely obedient to the side he feared the most.
1: I think that's interesting. Um, just, that reminds me, if I can dip into another fandom briefly... <laughs> um, on Game of Thrones this week,
4: <laughs> Somewhat, uh, This is a Harry Potter show, Lord. I- <laughs> this quick. is a Harry Potter show. I won't hear any of this. All right. just kidding. Well, Go real
1: on. quickly, there's a quote that I'm gonna say loosely. I can't remember exactly. That's basically was saying there are good and evil on both sides of every war, Um and basically saying that in every everyone thinks that their their own cause like is right, and in completely denouncing the other side as being evil is. Kind of a bad frame of mind because it's it's just not really taking everything everyone's view into and perspective into consideration. So yeah, that's interesting. That's, but Alas, that reminded me of we that's, do it all what? the time.
4: Hmm. No, just uh, just uh, we as a, as, we as a race of humans we do that like all yeah, the time. Yeah,
5: yeah, definitely. Yeah.
3: Well,
2: that's why, I, and I've said it before with Order of the Phoenix, but that's why I really like Order of the Phoenix is there is this, and we talked about this a lot last week, but that kind of. That moral grayness that's starting to creep into the series where mm-hmm. it isn't, you know, we're starting to see that all the people that we thought were perfectly good and put on a pedestal are not those people. Right. Um, and vice versa, that perhaps people who are, you know, pure evil are not exactly pure evil. The
4: world isn't split up into good people
1: <laughs> and Except when... Literally, I was just about to say. Except <laughs> when they
2: operate. Because then it's white and black, and you know exactly (laughs) who's good news, evil. (laughs) Oh, movie going and undermining your point immediately.
4: (laughs) That's why I had issues with Order of the Phoenix. David Yates. Uh, Oh, (laughs) yeah.
1: We will get there.
4: (laughs) there. Next comment from Quibblequaffle. Lupin Patronus. This one is for you. I find it interesting that out of all those mentioned. Lupin, whom I would say was the least successful spy from what we know about his mission with the werewolves, was unsuccessful because he was going in already being viewed as a traitor because he had tried to integrate with Wizarding Society before. Interestingly, Lupin is one of the few double agents I would describe as not being a traitor because he was never on Greyback's side in the first place, whereas Kingsley and Tonks worked at the Ministry before they recruited for the Order. Snape and Regulus were death Eaters before they betrayed Voldemort, etc., Pedigree was James and Lily's friend and a member of the Order before he became a spy for Voldemort. It's not a betrayal, um, unless there was once trust. Lupin is labeled a traitor to his kind right at the start of his mission. He is never accepted and therefore is never able to betray them.
3: Hmm. That's, That's a good point.
2: That is a really good. I mean, the, the, the one thing I just unfortunately have to say is that we don't have, and like, a, re- a really good sense of what Lupin ha- is up to with the werewolves. Yeah. That's probably like the most, like one of the most in shadow things we have issues with yes. with the with the Potter canon, and she didn't even answer it in Lupin's bio on Potter. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So where uh, yeah. Do we're, where do were the where do they hang out? Like where are they doing werewolf things?
2: Oh, I'm so baffled by like the whole thing. Like, do they? Do they hang out at, like, specifically at the full moon as werewolves? Do they hang out as
1: humans frequently? Like, Well, it's like a mix because Greyback... Me <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> meeting here.
4: <laughs> Greyback's like in wolf mode um, a lot of the time, like even when he's yeah. a human. So there's mm-hmm. got to be some sort of mixed culture where they're, they're kind of hanging out. They're doing werewolf things in human form, well, you know, and, going out by the moon, going out in nature, I'm sure, in between phases.
2: And going along with this idea that Lupin was never trusted by them... I'm I'm just confused because I know he had to be at some point, but I don't. I I still don't know how because I don't know how they wouldn't have known who he was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I mean Lupin's not perhaps greatly known in 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 wizarding circles, but he's 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 made a name for himself to some degree and. His, you know, his, with along with his father, who was prominent in the ministry, and then his history with Grayback. I'm just, yeah, I'm very baffled by how. Lupin What's his history
4: in the werewolf did. community? Maybe he was a kind of leader there. And we have no idea. Yeah, you know, yeah, for a di- offering an opposing side to Grayback.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. I, but I, but I do, you know, as as muddy as this gets with the fact that we don't have this backstory. I do appreciate the Lupin love. The loop and love that we've got here quibble quaffle. I, I I always love when there's loop and
4: love for the show. So, and I and I put that in there knowing that you, know, you were going to be on this one. And oh, it makes get, me so warm and thought. snuggly. And uh, good. <laughs> good. Uh, Next comment from Padfoot Forty Two. Um, I don't think Kingsley is being a traitor to his employer. The way I thought of it is sort of like a person working for a local muggle government in a city hall. If that person working for the government decides that in their spare time they want to work for a political campaign that is for someone other than that person who currently holds the elected position of mayor, That doesn't make him or her a traitor to the current mayor. Rather, their interests don't align outside of the workplace. That's true, but clearly, Padford42, you have not worked in politics because you can't do that. (laughs) Because then you're done.
1: (laughs) It's also the fact that Kingsley is actively feeding misinformation to his employer. He's leading up a case that's completely... I don't remember which country that he said Sirius black was in, but he pulled it out of a hat. It it's mm-hmm. its so, political right?
4: though. I mean, you you're either giving misinformation or you're giving the truth and if you give the truth you're fired. So.
2: Yeah, no. Right. Uh, well, and uh, as also was uh pointed out by actually a sycamore combustion on our main site uh last week, uh we are kind of uh, we we do tend to our main audience does tend to look at the uh, uh the Potter series through an American lens. This is these are the times when I wish Rosie was here. Uh, because she, I think she has a, she can really give us a good grasp on what, how British government works. Um, and cause it would be fascinating to see, like, I, I'd, I'd like to know, I, I, I feel like this wouldn't fly in the British government. Well, they've
4: got so many different parties mm-hmm. and they're always arguing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. But that's probably, you know, here it's just.
1: All government everywhere.
4: <laughs> but, but,
2: but I, I don't know. I, I think, I think Kingsley's still doing some, uh, noticeable, Double crossing mole work here. I, I I I mean it's a, it's for a good cause, kinda like the first comment you said you had. Um it's not like he's doing a bad thing, but mm-hmm. he is betraying his employer.
5: Yeah. And he's not just being passive about it. I mean he's literally like you said, he's actively leading them off the trail.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's oh, interesting. <laughs> that
5: <feeds>.
2: Speaking of <laughs> that, does does the Order of the Phoenix weird question? Does the Order of the Phoenix pay? <laughs> I'm just curious. No. no. Okay.
5: Probably Still not. A volunteer. Yeah.
4: The Dumbledore yeah. at the at the head, he's not even doesn't even show up to meetings. They just gather. So that is that's leadership. I can't, well, right then there. I can't afford yeah. to
2: join you guys. I I can't do any more volunteer jobs.
4: <laughs> Are you sure? Because I'm hiding. <laughs> 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 Volunteers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No. <laughs> Alright, so I guess at this point we're going to move on to our chapter discussion exactly at the cliffhanger where our last chapter left off.
2: Chapter 8 The Hearing.
1: So, Harry has li- arrived late to the hearing, sending that anxious pit into all of our stomachs that I always get when I'm, you know, late for these important things. And he's greeted by the entire. Is it pronounced Wizengamot? That's
5: how I've always said it. Yeah. Wizengamot. Wizengamot.
1: No. <laughs> and he's greeted by the entire Wizengamot in an unusually full trial uh in this criminal courtroom, complete with a chair that binds the sitter in chains. uh In chains, and the courtroom itself is all too familiar to to Harry. Percy refuses to acknowledge him, and the interrogators are out to get him before it even begins, but never fear, witness for the defense Albus Percival Wilford <laughs> Brian Dumbledore is here with his trusty, big squashy armchair. <laughs> and Harry isn't given the opportunity to ever make a case for himself, and is incriminated further with every yes or no question, but will his story of impressive corporeal patronuses battling dementors and the batty slipper-laden Mrs. <laughs> Fig be enough to go against the ever-ignored laws and the devil herself, Dolores J. numbers. We are going to find out right now. So, backtracking a little, uh, Harry enters the courtroom, and he's been in it before. Is the first, uh, you know, feeling that he gets via the Pensieve. So we get another reminder here, kind of subtly, of the Lestranges um, and the fact that they're imprisoned for life. I think this is the second time this has been come. This has come up beca- uh, past the, can't think of the word tapestry mm-hmm. thing. So. Mm-hmm. At this point, um, even a first-time reader should be able to pick up the foreshadowing that the, the at least one of the Lestrange's <laughs> will play a major role in the book. Uh, you never really hear the other one, um, and that this imprisonment may not be for life, indeed. But first of all, Fudge says that an owl was sent to Harry late th- um, was sent to Harry early in the morning about the time change, and it's not uh, their fault that Harry is late. So. My question is, did they actually send a letter at all? Uh, was it conveniently late? Did it go missing conveniently? Or did they genuinely did send one, it just went to private Drive? I doubt
4: they sent one, and it was just to make Harry look foolish. So maybe Fudge just told the rest of the, the Wazingamont that he got the letter, but it was purely political to make him seem like a weak, um, lazy character. I Yeah, right. yeah, I that's think so what too. I agree with also. I
2: agree that yeah. it's political, but I think they sent the letter. Like I think they purposefully sent it late. I think it's it's because Ooh. there's there's an yeah. issue of accountability um because right. then they really can say, "Yeah, we sent you a letter. If you didn't get it, it's your fault." Um it's an it's it, it's a you know, and I mentioned this last week, but it's a tactic. It's a it's a passive aggressive tactic too. It's dirty. Yeah. Gain- <laughs> it
1: would make sense for them to send it to private Drive because then they can't even say, "Oh, well, it arrived later. It arrived, whatever." They have because magic Because they could say, That's "Well, well sure. we sent it to your home address, and you just weren't yeah. there." So- mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. It's 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 a it's a way to it's just yet another way to throw Harry off his game and completely arrest control of the situation. I mean, they've already. Not only have they changed the time, but they're putting it in an atmosphere that's meant to make Harry uncomfortable and that they have full control over. Um, this is a... It, it's passive-aggressive, and it's horribly intimidating. So... Exactly, and, yeah. And it's done in real life.
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Fudge starts to list the interrogators, and we get, um, the first mention of Umbridge, but we'll get to her later. Ugh. But interrupting, and we get that fantastic moment of Dumbledore, um... <laughs> Coming in to announce himself as witness for the defense. And I remember reading this for the first time. It was just such a like clapping moment of like, yeah, we got this. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, looking at the pure size of the book, we knew Harry was not going to be expelled from Hogwarts. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, so I love. By the way, when he walks in and, you know, most of the wizards, including Fudge, are annoyed or some are even frightened at his presence, but there's two witches in the back that wave at Dumbledore as he walks in. <laughs> and yeah. I, I like it just because it's, it's proof that not all the ministry, um, thinks that, thinks poorly of him or thinks that he's power hungry. They're like, it's Dumbledore. And I think it's just a nice detail because it's easy to paint the ministry as like this evil body, like that's just purely against Dumbledore, but this, Kind of is a very subtle way of emphasizing, like, the choices people have and that not everyone feels that way. They're not all just one machine. This was more human. Mm -hmm. And
2: correct me if I'm wrong, but, and I'm sure the listeners will point it out if I'm way off, but aren't these two witches the ones who resign, like, at some point because of what's being done at the ministry? Am that I, could be. Am I off?
1: That I cannot confirm. I have not read this book <laughs> Yeah, that's, very, that's so, very detailed. I, I just what remember
2: there's, there's there's two witches in particular who resigned from the Wizengamot mod at some point, but I... Yeah, you're right, yeah. I could... What a tangle, uh, she has Yeah. Wow.
5: Yeah. And knowing Joe, she probably has backstories for both of these witches. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> they went to school together with Dumbledore. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: So Dumbledore says he luckily arrived three hours early. And I think we can all agree that this is meant as, like, not sarcasm, but like this tactic that he uses pretty much throughout the whole thing of just like yeah, almost passive aggressively, just like yeah. being never ever outright blaming Fudge for anything, mm-hmm. just like saying like oh well, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't do that, right? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's it's genius. But I wanted to know, do you think that the time of meeting the meeting was changed to make sure that Dumbledore missed the meeting, or that Harry did, or is it equal?
5: Uh, well, I was wondering, did they expect Dumbledore to come?
1: Well, I think um, I think so because uh, Fudge says like, "Oh, um, you got the notice at the time of the hearing." Oh, uh, yeah. right. Was like, oh, well, luckily for me, I arrived three hours early because I didn't. I'm okay. sure Fudge so. would have
4: anticipated it?
2: That yeah. well, that would make That's sense because you know we find out later, kind of, Dumbledore recites you know Ministry versus school policy to Fudge, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think because of the case and because this is so unusual and is changing a lot of ministry laws it dumbledore would have to be at this meeting um wasn't it wasn't it
4: brilliant i just loved him like using the law against fudge
2: just so fully equipped
1: Uh, right yeah and i'll definitely i'm gonna get to that and just how much fudge's actions just epitomize this kind of (laughs) guilty before innocent wizard justice yeah but um so where am i okay (laughs) So, Fudge begins the interrogation doesn't really give Harry a chance to do anything. Um, and, you know, one of the witches presses him more on the fact that he could produce a corpule patronus, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and how impressed they are by that, but I will leave that discussion to our question of the week for later, but it was worth... Some nothing.
2: Lupin love in that moment from Harry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciated that. <laughs>
1: uh, but, you know, of all... Fudge keeps, you know, in saying, like, how much, like, he doesn't believe anything that he's saying, or not really giving Harry a chance to do anything. But of all the looks of agreement that Harry's receiving, it's Percy's self-righteous nod that ha- that sends Harry kind of mm. overboard and screams out that he did it because of the Dementors. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is, I mean, I just hate Percy so much. <laughs> <and> this is <laughs> just, too. like, one of those <laughs> things. But it's, if I just... Oh, sorry, I was yeah. just
2: going to say it's really, well, the, the Percy's appearance here is so... Short-lived in the writing, like he's not really mentioned that much, but he's so effective in the very few moments he gets. Like, yeah, you, I just want to.
1: Swap you him really to his... do, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I... I
4: just wanted to to add that that one line Percy hasn't passed Dumbledore and Harry without glancing them was uh, was just a brilliant moment because it captured the whole feeling of the fact that Percy doesn't care, or or that he he might care, but uh, the law in the courtroom is more important than showing one meaningful. Glance at at them. Mm-hmm. That could have probably gone unnoticed. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, he is clearly because I think he genuinely really doesn't care. Well, I don't think he's hiding anything. It's not, I think he maybe it's not that he doesn't loves care. Justice.
4: It, I wouldn't say that he doesn't care. I'd just say that in this case, he thinks that each of Harry and Dumbledore are in the wrong. He's on the Ministry right, side. Right. That's what right. I mean.
1: Right. Yeah. No, he genuinely he agrees with everything that's coming out of Fudge's mouth. Genuinely, well, it's it's um, almost
2: frightening because he acts he he almost acts like he doesn't even know who Harry and Dumbledore are like right it's really cool. yeah. associated it, with yeah it. it's 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 frightening that that level of disassociation that he manages to have in this situation cuz Harry's completely goaded by Percy's behavior but Percy's not even reacting to Harry
1: and especially how comforting would it have been to have you know a familiar weasley face yeah. like while Harry right? yeah, was just giving him here. one like smile of comfort but, you know, I think that's the exact opposite Yeah, It actually is what sets him over the edge.
5: I think that, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, I think it's so powerful to have somebody there on the Wizen gamut who's somebody that Harry's not, maybe not been friends with, but known for years and is familiar with. And it's like his, his best friend's brother. And to get that kind of reaction from him, I think that really just kind of is like the knife in the gut. Like, oh man, I'm screwed.
1: Yeah. Especially, yeah, just that he's helpful. Yeah, yeah. But uh Fudge, smirking, say that the Dementors are just a nice cover story. Um And I I was curious, does Fudge genuinely think that the Dementors were not there and that Harry's just, like, making it up <laughs> any for attention? Or does he want to deny the fact that they were there because he doesn't want to believe Voldemort is back?
4: From what I understand, he oh. doesn't know they are there. That they or were there. Or,
1: one more thing, does he know for a fact that they were there and is covering up for Umbridge... Because mm-hmm. he'd rather admit that, um, you know, Voldemort was back, or n- and rather say that nothing was there than admit that the Ministry had anything to do with it. Mm. So there's really three options yeah. there.
2: You you know that moment. It this is a movie moment. It's one of the few good ones in order. You know that mo <laughs> that moment when Umbridge. Goes to her desk and she says, "What the minister doesn't know won't hurt him." And then she puts her. He puts his the picture, picture down. down. <laughs> yeah. I think the dement sending the dementors to Privet Drive was one of those moments for her. I. That's right. what I was
5: going to say too. I think she's just knowing her as we do and her evil nature. I think I would not put it past her to just like think that she knew better than the Minister of Magic and just go and act of her own accord and not even tell him. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So I think. um So do you think? In his own, you know, deep down, does he really think, if if he's fully not even considering the possibility that anything in the Ministry had anything to do with it, do you think deep down he does think that, you know, Voldemort might be having something to do with this? Or does he really just think that Harry's making this up?
2: I think he's more inclined to think that it's Voldemort, but he doesn't want to acknowledge it. Because Dumbledore's going off of that track as well, because Dumbledore does the whole narrowing down of what's going on and he's like well if we're (laughs) all so sure that it's not the ministry then it has to be voldemort um so
1: i will that actually leads into exactly what my next question was which was do you think dumbledore really does think that voldemort's behind the attack or does he know that the ministry was behind it and is using this opportunity as a way to Get Fudge to blame Voldemort rather than themselves, mm. like almost cornering him. Like, which one would you rather admit that it was the Ministry or
5: Voldemort? I think like, that's
2: exactly it. Is the backing yeah, in the so corner? Too. Yeah,
5: right. Mm-hmm. So because it's either way, you know, either way it goes, it, it doesn't make the Ministry look good. Right. Well, and
2: the the funny thing I f- found about this kind of the way that Dumbledore is able to do this is Fudge's is actually Fudge's statement that he f- he thinks and everybody seems to agree with him that it would be absolutely absurd apparently if dementors just wandered into muggle suburbs and i'm like what's <laughs> stopping them like what That's a good point yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know i i've always thought it strange that that, that from this we get the assumption that dementors don't hang around Muggles, but I'm like they are prime for the taking for a Dementor because they can't see them,
1: yeah.
5: and they wouldn't be able to defend themselves. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, you you would think that that, that would well, be a big problem. I guess problem. Fudge
1: thinks that they own them.
2: I guess, yeah, because he does imply that they don't really wander off from Azkaban, which I also think is pretty bizarre. Um,
1: which makes me wonder if they're kind of like, have the same form of almost enslavement in the way the House Elves do, or if there's payment in souls. Has, has, yeah. has,
2: has Jim been telling you about his time at Azkaban, Noah?
4: Oh, it's awful. It's the worst. <laughs> they don't even feed us. <laughs> the food they give us just slips through our bones.
2: <laughs> like, like that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean when they drink the wine. Oh, I love that why. <laughs> why, oh, so oh, Jim? You,
4: you like that movie too? I do. Oh, that's cool. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> He's gone. He flew away. Sorry.
1: Bye, Jim.
2: Bye, Jim. Good to, it was so good to hear from him. We haven't heard from him in a while.
4: It's so. kind of crazy. He's weird. He just likes flies over my bed as I'm sleeping.
1: <laughs> he just he just wants to cuddle with your soul.
4: <laughs> oh, he does actually. Wants to give you a kiss. Also, <laughs> good night. he can't <laughs> cuddle with his wife because his wife makes him depressed
2: that's right it... <laughs> he talks about that on his twitter account a lot doesn't yeah. he
4: <laughs> that's at Jim the Dementor by the way
1: so when Dumbledore tries to produce uh, his witness that he has oh, God. secretly away Fudge says uh, he doesn't have time for that <laughs> and you know I feel like anyone other than Dumbledore like would have been almost overruled in that scenario, um, and it's just it's just awful. <laughs> like it yeah. is just completely skating around any sort of justice system or the laws. And you know this is not the only time he does something like that. You know throughout the chapter you see him, oh he doesn't have time for that or you know, laws can be changed and whatnot. And it's just absurd and well, it's the epitome of everything that's wrong. Really a,
4: it's like a power play between Fudge and Dumbledore. It's like who's gonna be who's gonna be the man? That's sort of what it is. Dumbledore pulls on. You know the law itself very wisely, and Fudge is just the guy on top with the with the hammer, and that's what he uses. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that is not uh, enough.
1: Right. Yeah. It's it's almost like he doesn't want to give Dumbledore the opportunity to speak because he knows if he does, then he's just not going to win. Well,
4: that but that's right. Is his own everything he does seems to be for personal emotions against Dumbledore as opposed to what is right in the eyes of the the law.
3: Oh
2: yeah,
4: yeah. I think
1: also against Harry as well. Mm -hmm. Isn't
2: isn't the term for this uh, kangaroo court where it's? it's Well, I don't see anybody
4: hopping. (laughs) Well,
2: well, Fudge is hopping mad. Oh, Oh, that's good. Recover. (laughs) So, but yeah, the the like Laura said, the laws are being. Completely, I think this is the point where. But this is, a, in a way, the kind of the point where Fudge is really starting to lose control of this situation because he really he does have the upper hand from from the start. Um, it starts slipping when Madame Bones starts speaking, um, mm-hmm. but it it mm-hmm. once once Dumbledore says I have a witness, I think that just completely falls apart at this point.
4: Well, well, Dumbledore pretty much notices immediately that Madame Bones is the the reason kind of on the Fudge's side, oh, yeah. right. that he right. can really appeal to. And, I, and probably the other members of the Wizengamot look to her for some of that as well. Mm-hmm. She's probably one of the power players. Uh, and he, Maybe even Dumbledore had a bit of a strategy when he went in. I don't know if he's necessarily... He's not winging it. He's got an idea, so he's going to appeal to her uh, as best she he can. He probably even would have known that she would pick up on the Patronus part.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, and I think that's probably common knowledge because I remember back at the borough when they were leaving, um, Tonk said something about, oh, Madam Bones, like, that's great, she's fair, like, it'll be a good, you know, she she's a fair judge. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's probably common knowledge that that's how she would conduct her trials. And so Dumbledore probably knows that and plans for that.
1: I'm surprised Fudge even let her be there then. Yeah. If, he, if he's so throwing laws to the wind. Well, he's not quite logical
4: in this moment at all. He didn't,
1: like, give her a different job.
4: To well, do that to him. And the
2: you know, kind yeah. of the sad thing, because I, I, I thought this when I, I I remember thinking this when I first read the book, but I really liked um Amelia Bones and sadly she does not survive the series and I thought she would have been a great minister of magic.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
2: she she does she she's to me at least she seems to play fair. So like talks mm-hmm. uh speaks of her.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the witness that, um, is produced is Mrs. Stig, and Harry is kind of just like, uh, ugh, she's just like the least credible looking person, like ever walking, like she's still in her slippers, (laughs) this old woman. From a, um, it's just a fantastic visual. The casting is
4: perfect for the movie.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, she comes in and she starts to be questioned, and, First of all, there's just this one quote that is just worth saying because it's, um. it's hilarious. <laughs> where Madame Bone says, What did they look like? And Fig responds, Well, one was very large and the other one rather skinny. No, the Dementors. <laughs> the dementors. <laughs> it's just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Where am I? Sorry. Okay, so she... Fudge kind of questions the fact that she's like, you're obviously, like, not a wizard, because we closely monitor that, which is an interesting thing anyway. Um, but I find it interesting, she reveals that she's a squib, and I find it interesting that the Ministry doesn't monitor where squibs are, because I would think... You know, their own knowledge of the wizarding world, which we see through Mrs. Figg's references, pop culture references, if you will, that she is very knowledgeable <laughs> in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. That would be enough of a thing to warrant monitoring. Well, it so seems like to me that the, the
4: ministry, most of the members of the ministry are come from this high class of wizarding society, and they seem to look at squibs with a, a level of discontent. Or they really don't like them or care about them, so to even have them in a system, uh, they're not even worth the time. Or, I think, or at least I get that impression. That's why Dumbledore is so nice to Squibs, or he keeps them in the loop, because he knows their utility, but the ministry is pretty much doesn't care, does not know that.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I think that at least, you know, I, I would think it would still just present like a danger to like statue of secrecy, but I guess perhaps the logic. For them could also be that if they went off about you know a magic world without the abilities to back it up, they'd just sound, <laughs> sound crazy. crazy, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, especially someone who looks like mrs figg it's so. it's
2: actually kind of you know when you put it that way, it's actually kind of sad it 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 it, it oh, does yeah. make mm-hmm. me think it, it um yet again kind of of the mirrors of uh, in, of the real world with uh, individuals with disabilities. And I was like, this is kind oh, yeah. of how I mean, the government yeah. views individuals with disabilities is that they're kind of like, they don't really know what to do with them. They're kind of a nuisance. So they just don't really
4: pay them much attention.
2: Yeah.
5: and Just pretend you know, they don't exist. Yeah.
4: Cause, cause the, the, and, and certain big businesses have picked up on that and have given them jobs. And, yeah. Or are acting as governmental agencies in a way when the government can't do it. I mean, they're over at least in this country.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It, mm-hmm, right. It's, it's, it's interesting. Cause it's the same kind of thing where it's like, Oh, well they, they know about magic, but they can't do it. So
5: <laughs> yeah,
1: which is why I wish she kind of included in the series, a squib that was in some sort of position of, <sighs> I, I, I mean, the only other squib is filch <laughs> and filch is neither a pleasant <laughs> character or a particularly useful one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Uh, Mrs. Fig is great in this scenario, but I almost wish that we saw at least maybe just one other squib that had some sort of higher place in the wizarding world that wouldn't necessarily require doing magic, but I don't know.
2: I I do think there is a, I'll have to look it up at some point, but I do think there is at the very least a society for squibs in the wizarding world, but I I could be wrong, but I I feel like that does exist in the canon
4: where would that exist? Right, yeah,
1: I mean squibs are one of the most like sad things to think about.
4: I know. Yeah, of yeah. ever. <laughs> but no but but, but seriously like where where do they go? If you just just go with me, you know, what do you think?
2: Well, oh, actually it, I okay, I I just googled squib society <laughs> cuz <'cause> I was <laughs> like does it exist? I'm sure it, is, it exists <laughs> and it's from it's from a wizarding uh card, uh from a uh, Rowling's old website and it's uh, the society for the support of squibs um as far as we know it is presumably a charitable organization set up to assist those squibs living in the wizarding world it was oh, established it, it's a, it was established <laughs> by idris o- oakby um so so there is a society for them
4: um it's not like, it's not like that's aa good. or you go on and my name is August, i am a squib oh and the, the,
2: the they have a picture from the website it was it, it, idris is this kind of older Lady with kind of uh, bottle, bottle bottom glasses, and she's 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 carrying kind of like the you know the, the cans with the do, the donation can. She's got one of those. I think on the site oh my church, gosh, she, some she,
4: some she listener could. who is also a a techie, make this website and send it send
1: it to us. website. How about just ours? There should be a
4: website for squibs. Let's make it. Who's in? <laughs> Silence. Silence. Okay, um, got it. Got the message. It's fine. <laughs>
1: So the big uh question I guess um I don't know if it's just sprouting from my own confusion or if it's actually a question mm-hmm. but can when mrs. Fig goes on to describe the dementor she doesn't really give a particularly convincing um description and she says like the dementors were running and stuff but you know that could just be attributed to the fact that she didn't actually ever see a Dementor, you know but not that she I think she's
4: actually I don't think she can see them I think she's lying to protect Harry out of some sense of this is what I have to do so that I can prove that I see them when actually I only feel them, but they're not going to believe that I can feel them when actually they do believe that she can feel them because it's an accurate representation.
1: Right. That's what, that's more what I was thinking of too, just that she can't actually see Dementors. my, my only thing that was making me think, well, maybe she can was the fact that Filch is in Hogwarts and he's able to view these supposedly very like magical things around him, Mm -hmm. presumably. Hmm. I mean maybe not. But be, yeah.
5: um, No, I kind of agree with you because I was thinking maybe being a squib just means you don't have magical powers. You can still see past the kind of because because squibs aren't muggles, so mm-hmm. a lot of those defenses that are set up so muggles can't see Hogwarts, maybe they wouldn't work on a squib because they've been brought up in a wizarding household. And so mm-hmm. maybe they're able to see past those kinds of maybe things. Maybe there's
4: I a maybe there's a spectrum of squibbery.
5: maybe
1: (laughs) it's possible no uh, just because i i think of how they almost thought that like neville when he was like a kid would be like a squib and but you know occasionally it would show like a magical tendency or whatnot that even though he turned out to be a fully fledged wizard it was good that he bounced
4: if he hadn't bounced it would have been kind of messy
2: (laughs) no i i think that's a great point laura with filch because with that that got me thinking well you know who is filch's greatest adversary peeves who is a poltergeist? Who he obviously mm-hmm. can see. I mean, I think that would be a lot yeah. more difficult if he couldn't see him. And poltergeists, from what we know, on that's a whole other element. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Pottermore kind of uh, uh, extrapolates that um, poltergeists are kind of in the same, like, distant relation to dementors, and that they just kind of are birthed of emotion. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think, I think Noah's right though that. She, I, I I think she didn't actually, she can see them, but I don't think she actually did, because she shows up quite a bit after the attack anyway.
1: That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, she she describes exactly what happened as far as the attack went. Yeah. Like, as Harry sending the Patronus and whatnot. But at the same time, like, you know, if Harry had told this to anyone, if Dumbledore got it, Dumbledore could have briefed her. I don't think, because she doesn't really show up, like, until it's kind of over no i i think um, that's
2: exactly it. because harry notices that until she starts describing w- the feelings that a dementor causes somebody to have she he, harry thinks that she sounds like she rehearsed the whole thing
4: right and dumbledore and wouldn't he, have told her to to lie about seeing them i don't no. think she probably that was probably her idea um, so, which means that she lied to the the entire Wizengamot. she's got some nargles She's got some uh, she's pretty, <laughs> pretty big
1: nappies. I mean, so she—I she, don't think she ever had to go under oath or anything. They didn't really have, yeah. They didn't that respect sort of her system. enough,
5: probably.
4: Well, I don't—I don't think they have religion at uh, in Harry Potter world. I mean, except for the Christmas thing, but we haven't. I mean, that's a.
2: Well, uh, yeah, they what, don't, what but they s- but they don't take an oath when they go into court to tell the truth. So. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, pretty much. I think uh, Bones kind of says like. Are you sure? <laughs> like, yes. you can't to lie about
4: anything, so. Which
1: actually leaves me, um, what I think is funny is Fudge says, oh, was not, once Fake walks out of the room, like, Fudge just says, that wasn't a very convincing witness. <laughs> yeah. Which is just, like, funny to think, like, if that had been said in, like, an American courtroom, kind of just wouldn't Yeah. But, um, but Bone says, well, I can't imagine why she wouldn't inset- She would say that they were there if they weren't. <laughs> Well, I appreciate that sentiment. <laughs> oh, I could think God. of a very large reason as to why she would say that they were there if they were him. Well, you,
2: we, right? Because, I mean, too, the Ministry has literally just found out that Mrs. Fig is actually involved in, you know, Harry's life to a right. degree. And then, then they're just like, well, I can't think of one reason why she would lie to us.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Totally impossible. <laughs> but, you know, no one particularly questions that much further. But, you know, so once this is done and Dumbledore starts to go into the whole, all his theories of why the Dementors are there and the uh, perhaps the Dark Lord interference, uh, we get the introduction of everyone's least <laughs> favorite character, <laughs> Dolores Umbridge. And, you know, even just in this, dis- the fact that we get this lengthy description of her physical appearance... Just immediately lets us know that this is not the last we're seeing (laughs) of this. The connections are Um, negative.
4: They're Vernon Dursley and a toad.
1: Toad, yeah. Yeah. It's a large, pale toad, squat, broad, flabby, slack mouth, all these horrible things, bulging eyes. But then the the
2: most shocking thing is when she opens her mouth.
3: (laughs)
1: Right. (laughs) Just this, and, you know, she's wearing a bow in her hair, and she's got this girlish... High pitched voice. It's almost even just like creepier than it would be if it was just like a croak like the character <laughs> in Monsters Inc. But which yeah. is more what I always thought of. Umbridge, <laughs> but uh, that kind of femininity is oh, just kind of so. You, you were referencing
2: mm-hmm. Roz, weren't you? you mean, <laughs> is it, is it possible then that maybe she's such a mean character?
4: <laughs> is she such what, a mean no? character maybe because throughout her life she's been the victim of uh, some bias because she wasn't an attractive woman?
5: I'm.
2: Curious as to Umbridge's bet. I'm hoping we're gonna get something more about her on Pottermore. Because that would be
5: really interesting. Th- yeah. Whatever
2: this is, this is not birthed out of nothing. Like there are <laughs> 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 there are reasons for this. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think I don't know, I think for me, I'm sure I'll leave larger Umbridge analysis for her own chapter. But yeah. I think I think it really just comes down to like how much she just sees, you know, justice and order. You know, we see her obsession with order and everything as just being right, and we do see her prejudices that she has towards... She probably
4: didn't have a lot of order in her childhood. She's actually, a, you know, a sad case.
2: I'm sure you could find many a fan fiction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But... Yeah, we see immediately Umbridge is, it kind of, I, I mean, ironically, I never saw this coming particularly. Because I always just assumed that Dumbledore's, uh, what he's saying, oh, Voldemort was behind this. I'm like, yeah, Voldemort was behind this. So mm-hmm. when it turned out, no, Umbridge was behind this, it just never particularly occurred to me. It seemed too far fetched, um, for her to have done that. Mm-hmm. But she's the one that says, like, I can't believe. Like you would actually suggest? Like I thought for the teensiest moment that you were insinuating that the ministry was behind this, when in fact she herself is. But, so, which yeah. leads
4: me kind of nicely into what my comment that I put in the dock: Does she have some sort of infatuation with Fudge? Is this fully you know, fleshed out? What the heck is going on? Some bizarre romantic interest? Um, her loyalty or devotion to the to the minister is weird. What do you What do you all think?
1: I think that... I do think that she has an intense devotion, but I don't think it has anything to do with anything romantic. I think it's just this the symbol of what he stands for, which is, like, the lead of bureaucracy and, you know, order and hierarchy and just all of those things that he and the Ministry, like, represents, I don't think... I think that's what her passion and what she thinks is just the most right thing is. Right. I don't think it has to do particularly with Fudge himself. I think the minister could have been anybody.
5: Yeah, and I think also it could be an interesting parallel to look at the Death Eaters and Voldemort, and they're kind of Mm -hmm. just... Devotion, like, unwavering devotion, especially Bellatrix. Yep. Although that is romantic, <laughs> but it's that similar thing of just, like, believing in someone, almost making him into this kind of, like, religious figure, like, hero to be worshipped. I think that's mm-hmm. what Umbridge does with Fudge. And like we were saying earlier about, and I can't remember if this is in the books, but in the movies, um she has that picture of Fudge on her desk in her office at Hogwarts. So, I mean, it's this kind of borderline creepy devotion. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: that's exactly it it it's it, and i it, it's perfect Kara, that you said of uh, voldemort and bellatrix because you really could go and i think you could go into a similar similar analysis with that because you know as as we mm-hmm. just previously mentioned bellatrix is married a fact we all often yeah. forget <laughs> she does have a husband and right. and she but she and and her devotion to voldemort while yes there is i do think there is this kind of unrequited affection for voldemort in her weird twisted way i do think it Mm -hmm. that is birthed because voldemort so perfectly as you said carol represents her ideals um and Mm -hmm. i think i think that we've got with bellatrix and umbridge you've got a case of two women who are portrayed as lacking emotion like they're 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 not affectionate women they're they
5: are like sociopaths yes
2: yes so, in, so why does
4: a relationship need to be affectionate
2: well and, and that's if, if you want if you want to define it that way then i think then you could say that there is that but I, I i like laura said too i i think it's kind of a love for what these men represent as an idea rather than the men themselves Perhaps. No, no, it's, it's true, but I
4: think if you look at the language, the that's sort of where all this insinuation comes into play. And just speaking for me, I feel like humankind can't quite separate our relations uh, between. Um, we, we can't we can't take out the the gender or the romance factor or the ideas. Um, we just don't know how to do that yet as a species. So we keep trying to tell ourselves that we can and put it under different names, but. In, in, in bureaucracy and business and everything there are you know dynamic relations that are modeled after either old school family um 1950s uh depending if you're on in the United States or just just sort of like family oriented things um do you, do you sort of know what I mean so even with these characters I feel like in as even though on on one level there are the the very practical connections of you know following fudge because he's the the hallmark of, of bureaucracy there's also there's other stuff. There's another level of of man woman kind of at play. So mm-hmm. that was my that was my English major, but
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I respect your opinion on that. I just um I don't I just personally just don't see it just cuz I think the connection kind of if we're talking about, you know, Bellatrix and Voldemort, kind of the opposite parallel, I was thinking just in needing almost a figurehead for your ideology. Um mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Like, even just something as simple as Dumbledore's army, Dumbledore is not really connected or related to that at all, and yet they still call it Dumbledore's army, and Dumbledore's, like, their hero in that, and he doesn't really have anything to do with anything that's actually happening. He's has everything to do with what's happening in the Order, but, you know, they... It, it has... It's, it, you know, they almost needed... They didn't call it Potter's army, because they just needed a, a symbol for their, like, ideology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for Umbridge... You know, she is. She doesn't have an organization per se. Um, I mean, I guess she eventually does with like the Inquisitorial Squad and whatnot. But she's not gonna call it Umbridge's army and stuff. She <laughs> needs to say that you know she's working for Fudge and under Fudge's ideology and the Minister and the Ministry, even if you know Fudge might not actually be sitting there like. Which is interesting. Feeding her information. Position
4: because on some level she didn't necessarily have to do that, but that's where she draws her power from.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, doubt, I doubt Fudge is actually sitting there telling her to, you know, make all these decisions. I think he just gave her the authority and kind of stepped away. In the same way, you know, I, I'm, it reminds me of, like, when Percy first got this power, it's like, oh, you know, I'm working for Crouch, when in fact Crouch is just like, yeah, sure, whatever, and lets him do whatever he wants, almost. So, I don't know. That's where... Mm-hmm.
2: While I, I, I am mostly in agreement with Laura and Kara on this... Noah, I do think that is, like, a totally legit interpretation in terms of how the movies portray Umbridge, um, in terms yeah. especially yeah. of that por- that portrait of Fudge on her desk. I think the movies actually did take that tack with how they portrayed her. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So,
4: perhaps- Well, I mean, I think I have, to, I have to really sit down with the language. What I can do is I can take every single um, line where Umbridge even references Fudge, and I can just look at the words and just see what kind of words is Joe using to describe their relationship. Um, I can do it for both ways for when Fudge is talking about Umbridge and then I can come to some you know, conclusion about it but I haven't looked at that data yet
0: Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes, counting your steps you know, all the mundane stuff that is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day, little. and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: <laughs> well, let us now Get back to us. <laughs> but to kind of conclude it, if, you know, Harry's, uh, oh, first of all, Dumbledore says it's not Fudge's business, um... What Harry does at school once Fudge starts to bring up, you know, the fact that he's been such a rule breaker at Hogwarts, and Fudge rather threateningly is like, "Oh, really? Like you think that's none of my business?" And it's just kind of a grim foreshadowing of what heavy interference is to come.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, it's another one of those kind of scary that that you know, Fudge is kind of Fudge is we're used to Fudge giving empty threats, but I think this is the first one where it's like, oh. He
4: means business this time. Yeah. But if yeah. it's weak, he's getting, he's just getting emotional. And Dumbledore's cool and collected, but.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely it's the here. Dumbledore's Dumbledore like, calm <laughs> demeanor yeah. over it. it's just making Fudge seem crazy. He's almost oh, just, yeah. it's almost like when someone's in a sword fight, like dueling each other. But this is on like, his own turf. They just let the other dance around the other till like, they get tired. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Dobber
4: doing this in his own turf like just pulling him apart in front of everyone. This is, so that's sort of the, where the retribution comes
0: from.
2: No, the right. the tables have been turned completely in this power play and what's funny it, it kind of made me realize as I was reading this last night, um you know before when I read this, I could so clearly hear how I hear Dumbledore in my head this time I was trying to shove Michael Gambon's voice out of my head because his his, <laughs> his quotes are so I think the like particularly memorable in the series from this particular scene um, he has a lot of good one liners in the movie and from directly from the book, so I could hear them just like it. And I was like, No, Michael Gambon, you don't sound right at all for the tone of no, what this Michael is supposed Gam- to be. Yeah.
4: No, Dumbledore is <laughs> like a multifaceted expression here. He's sitting with, you know, quiet coolness, you know, mm-hmm. contemplating mm-hmm. things, big things. And Dumbledore in the movie is just like the same kind of drawing phrase, exactly. like just, this yeah. is it. I'm saying the line. I don't.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 as a, it, for me as a voice actor, it just really affected me just reading it because I was like, you know, I, I have, I've always had such a clear sound for Dumbledore in my head and it, it's, it, the way I hear him is that he's smiling almost all the time that he talks. Um, yeah. even when he's saying threatening things, but he says them with a smile and he says them like yeah. kind of a mm-hmm. friendly grandpa. Um, but that 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 really threw me off this chapter because i was like no you i have to read it this way because it completely changes how how dumbledore takes this argument into his hands
4: um so.
5: yeah no i agree that there's definitely a shift in the movies versus the books with the scene because i really like when dumbledore says thing about it, it not being Fudge's business, what Harry gets up to at school, and that's in the book, I think it says that's the first time Dumbledore starts to sound angry, mm-hmm. and it's just a very subtle anger, but it's there, because that's Dumbledore's territory, it's like, you know, you kind of get a sense from that, it's just a very quiet anger, but letting Fudge know, you know, at least right now, I still have jurisdiction over what happens at my school.
2: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's...
1: And it's also, he's saying, also, we also get uh, it revealed that he's been asked to leave... Uh, the Wisengamot, mm. and he's like, well, you know, clearly you're changing laws all over the yeah. place. Yeah. Now, uh, it's practice to hold a full criminal trial for underage magic, mm-hmm. and you know, I do agree with Kara, Kara in saying that, you know, he's he's still remaining calm, mm-hmm. but but there's like, anger. He's getting irritated now because yeah. now he's it's getting to the point where he's going to have to say, all right, give your verdict, and you yeah. Know, Right, like He's, let's get this over with. <laughs> it's it's at this point, it's in the hands of the rest of the trial because you know there's no winning fudge, there's no mm-hmm. winning on bridge. Mm-hmm. So at this point, he just needs to but put his faith in the people that are back. Take there. that, guys! Mm-hmm.
2: It's the power of the voice. One point for all the voice actors out there. Dumbledore's a good voice <laughs> actor, so of course, if he I don't know if you any of you saw the Lego Movie because he sounds quite different in that. little <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more animated he, a, little, a little bit more animated uh-huh. uh,
3: It's Dumbledore Dumbledore
4: <laughs> Dumbledore Dumbledore,
3: Dumbledore. Albus <laughs> Possible Wulfric Brian Dumbledore
4: Now that would have been weird that, I think that would have been a bad tack to take He didn't though I was happy
1: <laughs> But to conclude on a Dumbledore note so, Harry's cleared of all charges, and you want to be like, yeah, and have him and Harry, like, high five. <laughs> but Dumbledore just leaves. Yeah. And I think rather hypocritically, because I, I, I actually, this occurred to me while marathoning through the Harry Potter movie series this weekend, or whatever. Oh, good day for you. Was. Good for
4: you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you.
1: And I, I got to the part, I think it was in Chamber of Secrets, where Dumbledore was saying, like, Harry, like, is there anything you ever need to tell me? Or he's saying, like, you're not alone. Or in Goblet of Fire, I think also at the end, he's like, don't think you're ever alone in this. Yeah, yeah. And then we get, comes to Order of the Phoenix, and he's just like, nope, I'm (laughs) leaving. (laughs) Yeah. Where Harry now wants to talk to him throughout the series and has stuff he wants to tell him, and he's just like, nope, I'm gonna leave you to your own good. Like, and it's just, It's the opposite. It's like, oh, remember that time I said you could come to me about anything?
4: No. Well, I think there's also the fact that, you know, now that Voldemort is back, the Dumbledore plan is activated. And maybe to an extent he doesn't (laughs) want to get emotionally attached to Harry because Harry is potentially a pig for slaughter as well. I don't know if that comes into play. I just thought of that.
5: I think that's part of it because I think Dumbledore actually says something like that at the very end of Word of the Phoenix when they're having that big, dramatic conversation in his office and Harry's smashing everything. And Dumbledore says (laughs) something about, you know, I... He goes through every year of Harry's life at Hogwarts and says, you know, by this point, I'd already begun to care about you. Uh, it was getting harder and harder to do what needed to be done. And, I mean, I think at this point, he's trying to distance, distance himself from Harry just because of the whole mind connection thing. Like, he probably well, that's fears the, that's going to... That, the that's gonna, that, yes. right, that yeah. still
2: bothers me, though, to this day, because I'm like, you couldn't... Like, what would Voldemort get if you just gave Harry like a little hug of reassurance, or just yeah. Like, yeah, just yeah,
1: yeah.
4: a little yeah. something?
1: Yeah, just talk to him. You don't have to go over secret order plans <laughs> or anything. Just be like, "Hey, Harry, how you no, doing?" No, maybe you thought Voldemort was going to like
4: possess Harry's body and like bite him like a snake or something on the neck. Can you imagine?
2: Well, apparently, <laughs> you know that can, <laughs> that is, you know, a thing that to be cautious happens. of. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I, that that is pretty well and i guess too we find out a little more later that you know affection and love and and good feelings kind of keep voldemort out of harry's head um yeah, so true. really that you know just a moment for harry to have some good you know feelings of accomplishment and with with dumbledore to just you know just say you know i you're welcome and i'll see you <laughs> just again. a wink like,
4: just like another, like like another look of triumph, you know, one more. Yes, a less confusing
2: look yeah. of triumph. <laughs> like,
1: a mo- like 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 more. How much it keeps him in the dark is just, just. Yeah. I don't know. It's just this is. I mean, I don't. This is the point where I stop liking Dumbledore, <laughs> or start to stop liking Dumbledore.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because it's almost like the plan kind of backfires because in let in making Harry feel that way, like making him feel alone. It's almost opening him, him up more, making him more vulnerable.
2: Exactly. No, it's the, it's the big mistake that Dumbledore made. And it makes him yep. reckless.
0: It makes him reckless yeah. to jump yeah. into battle.
2: Yeah, this is, the, this is the times when you can't treat Harry like a chess piece that you actually... <laughs> <laughs> he, he needed to be... At this point, he did need to be acknowledged for his accomplishments and for who he was and have a relationship
4: with Dumbledore. And yeah, that was... Wait, wait, so yeah. are we saying that Dumbledore is at fault here?
1: Yes. Right. So he's not. He's
4: not all-knowing. He's not really that great.
1: I never said. he looks <laughs> like I'm, I am not a Dumbledore He's so actually kind that. of a
4: sucky guy. Uh,
1: kind of. Operative or... Uh kind of. Like I'm not saying he's fully bad in the same way that so many of us were like Snape, Snape. We're not <laughs> saying he's evil. <either. laughs> not nice words. Like, yeah. Look how look <laughs> how swiftly we've changed.
4: He could be evil potentially.
2: Look how quickly we've changed
4: guys. That,
1: that's a little too far. We're free. all like now we're <laughs> but, at that
2: point where we're just like, God, remember when Dumbledore was awesome? Those
1: were good
4: days. Remember was awesome. <laughs> 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 no, but but Harry's like a like a child who's become disenfranchised with his parents. Or not disenfranchised, dis uh Disillusioned? Disillusioned with the parents who come home and you realize that they're just people too, and Dumbledore's just another person.
5: Yeah.
2: Yep, so it begins.
4: Well, here's the podcast question of the week. Um, so back in the courtroom, Amelia Bones is really happy that Harry could do a corporeal patronus, or maybe happy is the wrong word, uh, surprised, because he's so young. And, you know, we keep going back to this. Um, she's not the first person to notice this. And I was wondering, what's the big deal about having a corporeal Patronus It not just being kind of uh, uh, just a shield, but being an actual animal or creature? Um, I thought, does it require perhaps a certain degree of emotional intelligence? Do you have to go through a big emotional something for you to be able to produce it? Because I know that when Harry is working with Lupin, as you you'll remember, he has to really fight off some, some stuff in his head to get there, or he has to really bring his happy thought forward. So that's the question. Look forward to reading your answers in the next episode.
2: That's a good question because we do constantly get conflicting mm-hmm. information on how a Patronus operates and how
4: hard it is mm-hmm. to
2: make one. So that's... that's yeah, and it, it doesn't seem to be a matter
4: of just skill and, and wand waving, you know, it, it's something deeper, something more, so... -hmm. Maybe it's emotional intelligence. I'm
1: pointing my wand at you so hard. (laughs) 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 That's rough. How how Harry Potter should should have ended. ended,
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm pointing
2: my wand as hard as I can.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But in any case, we would like to thank Kara so much for being here.
5: Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. This is great.
1: and best of luck with your Doctor Who podcast. Thank you very much. As soon as I start watching Doctor Who, I will check it out. All right, awesome. <laughs> I have
2: to ask Kara before we before yes. we go. I have to ask her like one of those big questions because I still ponder All this. All right. Why do you think Harry Potter fans love Doctor Who so much? There's there's That's a, a really there's good good the majority of the fandom that kind of crossed over, and I'm I'm curious.
5: Oh yeah, I really think so. Yeah, and a lot of friends I've met through Doctor Who are huge Harry Potter fans. Not even just that they've read the books, but they're massive fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really I really don't know. I think that it's just you know, kind of the sci-fi that they're of similar genres and I think people who you know, have read Harry Potter and grown up with Harry Potter mm-hmm. are interested in those kinds of things like particularly time travel like how ha- it plays a part in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of people who love Prisoner of Azkaban because of the time travel aspect uh-huh. and then of course Doctor Who is all about time travel. So, I think there are a lot of elements that are kind of in both you know, forms of media. Yeah. So I, I think they're very different, but I think there are similarities there. So it is interesting. That is
2: an excellent answer. See, and Thank I, you. I bet there's more of that insight on your fantastic podcast. Where can the listeners go Hopefully. to listen to your podcast?
5: Well, they can uh, find us on iTunes under The Impossible Girls. They can follow us on Twitter at TIG Podcast, and we're also on Facebook.
2: That sounds perfect. Perfect. So, All right. Well, <laughs>
1: Maybe I shouldn't watch Doctor Who. It's all time travel. If anyone knows my feelings on time travel. And time computer. Turner
4: Rage. Oh no! Well, <laughs> so oh, that reminds me. Did Dumbledore use the Time Turner to get back to the trial on time? When he...
5: I really like that theory. Actually, I think that's really interesting. Cause
2: Cause I wouldn't he, be surprised. Oh yeah. yeah, he's got everything. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. like Mary Poppins. He just pulls it all out of his bag, right?
4: <laughs> now I'm thinking about him coming down with an umbrella. You know, just in time for tea. <laughs>
2: All right. So if you would like to be on the show with us, just like Kara, join us in our TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. <laughs> uh, you can uh, head over to our main website <laughs> and check out the Be On The Show page at Alohomora.mugglenet.com. You just need um, a microphone and some headphones, um, and uh, we'll get you set up, hopefully, and you can join us and talk about Harry Potter.
4: And uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can reach us on Twitter at MN on Facebook slash open the Dumbledore on Tumblr, MN com. You can call us. I'm just going to take a brief moment. We want some calls. Can you please just call our line? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not begging.
1: Noah sits there all day by the I'm phone. Asking, I sit by the waiting. phone
4: waiting for someone to go, Albus, 206, <laughs> go, Albus, call us at 206-462-5287. That's 206-462-5287. Call us now. Go, Albus. <laughs> you can subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Snapchat, MN underscore Lok Mora, which is run by M Platko, who is currently going to work for Disney, which is really cool. Oh, he's our Snapchat star- artist, and he's going to be doing stuff for them. So follow that account. I don't know what that's called exactly.
1: Walt Disney World. What is it called? <laughs> Walt Disney World. Follow Walt
4: Disney World on <laughs> That's Snapchat. Uh, cause we, we want to help him out. He helps us out. It's a nice little give and take. It's great.
0: Plus. And you can also leave us an
4: audio boo, Leave us leave us a message directly on netcom and we play those on the show. It's totally free. All you need is a microphone.
1: And speaking of things that are free, we just want to remind you that we have ringtones that are free and available on the website. And in addition to that, we have our store. And, you know... You know everything that's in there, shirts, sweatshirts, flip-flops, but if there's anything else that you would like to see on the store, if there's a merch that we do not have that you would like represented, please let us know, tweet at us, post something, comment, and uh, we will get that together as soon as possible.
2: You know, I think I need to, I'm, I'm starting to think that we need to make a shirt that just has Lupin' Love on it, and it's got, like, like Harry hugging a little wolf or something like that.
4: Do you have a shirt yet, Michael? I is thats that. Is that... <laughs>
1: No, me, Eric, and him still don't. Right,
4: so, so yeah, Michael, clearly something with Lupin.
2: <laughs> Lupin love.
4: <laughs> yeah. But, just, just, work. Like, I, I imagine in my head, like, you know, like a little, not an anime character, but like an emoji or, no, um, a little character hugging a heart, but he's also kind of wolfish, maybe there's a tooth.
2: Aww. I've. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, these are adorable. But, <laughs> in the meantime, while we're working on all these adorable things for our store, and you're, while you're waiting for that, we also have an app. If you're bored while you're waiting for your trial to start at the Ministry of Magic. It is seemingly available worldwide. We think so. We haven't heard too many complaints yet. Prices vary depending on your location. Our app includes transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. Plenty to keep you entertained while you're waiting for your ministry hearing.
1: (laughs) And I actually, I really want, I was hoping some, so far no one sent me anything, but uh, I was in charge for the app content last week and I posed a challenge to any of our viewers where because we were doing all code breaking type stuff, I'm really bad at all things code breaking. So I was trying to unscramble Harry Potter characters huh. names and I was just very bad at it and uh, I think it's amusing in my attempt to do it. And I asked listeners to verse me and to see how much faster they could do it for me and to tweet at me how much faster they did or how much more characters they got. Well, the I day. mean,
4: they, they all heard you. So what they need to do is go download the app right now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So do it, do it and let me know. Tweet at me. <laughs> Tweeter. At Riley underscore Laura. <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs> so
2: until you guys are all done breaking those codes that Laura was working on, we will sign <laughs> out for now. I am Michael Harley.
4: I'm Noah Freed.
1: I am Laura Riley. Thank you for listening to episode 85 of Mora. Open the Dumbledore,
0: Alonzi. Z!
4: Chapter 8 Something Happens Wait, wait, who's Alonzi?
2: Who's that? I'm
4: assuming it's Dr. (laughs) (laughs) Gerson
1: Yeah Uh, uh, uh,
3: That was
2: uh, I was going to say Dumbledore (laughs) I was was tempted to do the
3: Dumbledore voice (laughs) I'll bring the Dumbledore
4: (laughs) I was going to bring back Jim (laughs) <laughs> open the Dumbledore door, please. <laughs> please. Let me through. <laughs> so cold.